Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Because of the political uh, climate, I think it's incumbent on everybody to get out and try and vote so that our, our opinions can be heard. Today is Election Day. As Americans head out to the polls around the country, our reporters are there, too, talking to voters like Robert Eckford in Florida, who you just heard, and to people like Joe Ortega in Texas. Me? I'm Republican, very far-right conservative. I just want to keep things that way. I want to keep Texas red. I don't want to go to, like, California. That's my main, that's my main, um, that's my main focus. So I'm getting out and doing my part and putting my vote in. In Arizona, 38-year-old Chris Rue voted for Democrats. But she was not excited about anyone on the ballot. She wishes that there were more options. We're stuck in a two-party system because nobody other than the two candidates at the top can ever win. In DeKalb County, Georgia, 68-year-old retired accountant Billy Andre said that this election has important races up and down the ballot. You got the, uh, the balance of, of the Senate at stake this time, whether or not it be Democratic or Republican. And we also have a minority African-American man running there. Well, we have two. <laughs> not only that, but because of the issues. We, we got a lot of, of issues that, that we are facing now, and, and, and like some people say, for the soul of America. Also in Georgia, we heard from 19-year-old Olivia Castro. She said she's feeling optimistic. There's, I feel like, more hope for Georgia than is sometimes put out there in terms of, mm. by hope, I personally mean being more blue. Olivia spoke to our democracy reporter, Matt Brown. He's been looking at what effect young voters like Olivia are having on this election— Many members of Gen Z are now old enough to vote, and some of them are now old enough to run for Congress. They're a lot more politically practical and a lot more politically realistic about their ambitions is why I think Gen Z is going to have a much longer standing impact, because they're not coming in with certain idealistic perspectives about everything. They're, they're much more pragmatic about what actual organizing looks like and, and what the stakes are. Matt says that this might be the year when Gen Z makes their mark in politics. The boomer generation and the silent generation had held on to power for so long that there just weren't political opportunities for millennials to run for office because there were no open offices, whereas now there actually are offices that are opening up just as Gen Z is becoming a political age. So this is a literally once in multiple generation opportunity to really change how the country is run. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Tuesday, November 8th. Today, for Election Day, we are discussing the political impact of Gen Z on these midterms. Are they showing up at the polls? And what issues do they have in mind as they vote? We brought together a panel of political reporters who happen to be Gen Z themselves, or at least pretty close to it. And we talked about how this generation could shape the future of American politics. 
So let's just start by having you guys introduce yourself and say who you are and what you do. And Mariana, why, why don't we start with you? Yeah. Um, so I'm Mariana Alfaro. I'm one of the anchors of Post Politics Now, which is um, the Post live update uh, politics feed um, that you can find on the homepage every day uh, of the week. I'm Carmela Boykin. I'm on the Washington Post TikTok team. So day to day, I make TikToks. But then also I do some live interviews. And that's why I'm here talking to you guys about Gen Z and politicians. And my name is Matt Brown. I'm a reporter on the Washington Post Democracy team covering voting rights and election administration um, based in Atlanta. And to be clear, are you all like actual Gen Zers? Like what is the what what are you? Um, I consider myself a zillennial. Uh, sorry, a what? A zillennial. So a I'm zillennial? like right on the cusp. Yeah. I Between um, Gen Z, Gen and, Z millennial. and millennial. Okay. I used to think I was a millennial um, and then I interacted with more millennials and I realized that I was like too bit on the younger edge to get a lot of the references, a lot of the like lifestyle choices. And then, um, but then I don't fully identify as Gen Z because I have a Gen Z sister. Like she's hardcore Gen Z. She was born in 2003. So, you know, when I see her and her friends, I feel ancient. Um, so there's that weird in between uh, the people born uh, in 96 and I think like late 97 um, that are, you know, 25, 26 right now. We don't really fit fully in one category, but yeah. Wait, so so Carmela and Matt, are you guys also zillennials? No, I'm a full-on Gen Z, but I know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> because you talk to some Gen Z who are born in like 2003 and you're like, oh, I'm Gen Z, but am I really Gen Z? Like I'm the older part of Gen Z, which is a little weird. Matt, what about you? Yeah, 100%. I'm definitely a zillennial as well. I, I, I was born right at the end of 1996, and my, my birthday is just a little bit after the election this year, actually. So so I, I very much feel like I'm either the last of the millennials some days, or I'm this geriatric Gen Zer, and, um, you know, not, not, not sure where to Get put myself here, most man. days, but, <laughs> but zillennial, zillennial is a good category, I think. I, I feel comfortable there. So the reason that you guys are here is because you all have been covering politics in this midterm cycle, but also focusing on, um, in some ways, Gen Zers, who is this age group um, from people who were born, I guess, between 1997 and 2012. Um, And that's been a big area of focus in this midterm election cycle. So, So talk a little bit more about why it's important to pay attention to Gen Zers. I mean, I, I feel like they are not the group that I would assume is the the group that's going to make or break this, this election. For sure. I think there are a lot of issues that are really impacting Gen Z. And because this year is the first year that Gen Z can run for federal positions, it's really exciting because all of the issues that Gen Z has been talking about of climate change and gun control, this is the first year they can really step up and take action on issues that are important to them. Yeah. And also, you know, there's this idea that young people don't vote. And I think that we really uh, seen that over the last few elections that um, there's been this youth turnout that's been increasing like little by little since 2016. Back then, the youth turnout was really bad. And um, not that it was fully, you know, blamed on them what happened that year, but it was definitely that thing that in the midterms of 2018, they were like, well, you see what's happening. You need to show up and vote. And so we've seen small incremental percentages of of Gen Zers showing up and and young millennials, but it's to be seen if that's going to happen this year, too. And Matt, what about you? You're you're in Georgia, and so I'm sure you have a, a distinct view from there. But what is your sense of how young people are affecting what's happening in Georgia politics-wise? So just here in Georgia, the largest actual registered group of people, age block-wise, is 18 to 24-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Like 850,000 um, registered people in that age group are here in Georgia. Unfortunately, that's not like 
the percentage of people who have most voted so far, though. It's it's disproportionately older people so far who are voting in Georgia. Mm. But I think it's going to be interesting to see once Gen Z actually does start to exercise its political power. I think that this is going to be a political sea change in the country, not just because Gen Z is such a large generation in so many ways, but also because it has such distinct political interests and such distinct political desires um, compared to past generations. So, so Gen Z is obviously one of the most diverse generations that we've ever seen. It's, it's on track to be the most educated generation. It's um, disproportionately a generation that are the children of immigrants and, and, and has a very idiosyncratic, shall we say, political beliefs and whatnot. And I think that that's going to be something that when you look at states like Georgia that are also much younger than the national average, that you're going to see politics change here just off of, you know, generational change alone. Well, let's talk more about those beliefs. Marianne and Carmela, what are, what are your sense of what is motivating Gen Z voters and, and what are the issues that they care about? Yeah, I mean, we definitely saw um, the awareness kind of raise up or, you know, the the, the involvement in civic um, mindedness come up a little more after the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe. And so I think you saw all these protests, all these social media movements, all these um, mainly young women leading the, the charge and saying, we need to get out of the polls. We have to change this. We can't let this happen. And so I think that that's something uh, that the Democrats are really counting on to see this anger, this um, like terror that many young women have and, you know, also, you know, young people and Gen Z in general. Um, so that's a, one of the driving forces. And again, there's also the aspect of, um, you know, they're the mass shooting generation. These hmm. voters have been seeing um, in their real life, like shooters come into their schools and politicians do nothing. And so I think that those are maybe the two top issues that we could see Gen Z um, coming out to the polls and, and, you know, fight for. That's such a stark term, the mass shooter generation, um, and honestly so sad. Talk more about how you're seeing mass shootings and and issues around guns coming up in this election and and specifically affecting how Gen Zers are thinking about how they should be voting. I think the potential of having a safer future or the potential of being able to go to school and not wonder if you're going to be shot at school, which is insane, I think is really powerful. And so Especially when talking to Maxwell Frost, he's running for the 10th Congressional District in Florida, Mm. and he's running for the House. And one thing he said was Gen Z really wants something to vote for and not against. And so one thing he's running on is voting for safety in schools or voting for campaigning towards something. Mm. It's interesting to see that playing out. And Carmela, I want to go back to your conversation with Maxwell Frost. How old is he? He's 25, so he's just eligible to run for federal position. Wow, wow. So, so tell me more about what he said about his motivation for running and how, how being part of the mass shooting generation has motivated him. Yeah, so he talked about seeing the Sandy Hook shooting on TV. Before every jazz band concert, my best friends and I would go to this restaurant across the street and like load up on a ton of junk food. And I remember us sitting there eating and there was a kind of silence that fell across the entire restaurant we all looked at each other wondering what was going on. Uh, then we looked up at the television screen and saw that somebody walked into an elementary school in Newtown, Connecticut and murdered 20 children and six teachers. It had a huge impact on me. He was the national organizer for the March for Our Lives organization, and that really impacted him. And so in this campaign, that's one of his focal points because he's got a lot of experience in that. We need more organizers. We need more teachers. We need more nurses. We need more people who have different life experience. And for me, I've been fighting for the last decade um, to create the world that I believe we deserve to live in. Carmela, I also want to ask you about another candidate named Ray Reed, um, who has talked about kind of his approach to what this generation's issues and, and motivators are. What did, what did you hear from him? 
So Ray Reed, he's a congressional candidate. He was running for House in Missouri's 2nd District. Um, he did lose his primary, but one of his big things was talking about everything. Uh, he said there are a lot of issues that Gen Z is concerned about, but they're all really important and they're all really pertinent and impacting generations all at the same time. We care about universal health care. We care about student loan forgiveness. We care about union rights. We care about reproductive rights. We care about the environment. And what stood between me and working on those issues was this federal office. So, you know, I think the theme of Gen Z is that we don't wait for other folks to fix the issue. We step up and do it ourselves. So here we are running for Congress. But the sense that I get is that a lot of, especially how older generations are viewing Gen Z's like potential political impacts, is that they're all talk and no action. Like people will make TikToks and will like have their memes about the things that they're upset about politically, you know, whether it's about gun rights or climate change or student loan forgiveness or whatever, but that when it comes to actually getting registered, going out to vote, organizing, getting other people to go out to vote, that that's not a thing that Gen Z does or is good at. And I'm curious what you guys think about that, whether whether there's reason to be skeptical that there is real political power here. Yeah, so I do think that there's reason to have doubts, you know, just because of what we've seen in the turnout in 2020 and 2018. Uh, there were very incremental changes. So, yeah, the youth turnout um, is going up a little bit, but it's not like you were seeing in the 65-plus crowd, you know, those who showed up uh, to vote at 75%. When we're looking at 18 to 24-year-olds in the 2016 election, only 46% of them voted. Uh, 2020, you know, we saw 51% vote. So, yes, the numbers are going up, but, you know, it's still not adding up to the full population. And I think, though, that there is still reason to be hopeful. Uh, we're seeing more organizations kind of push for the Gen Z vote. There's even one specific organization, Voters of Tomorrow, uh, that is specifically created by Gen Z for Gen Z. Uh, so that's the thing where you're seeing all of these young voters try to get their friends out to vote, too. Uh, but is it really going to happen? Uh, I think that 2022 is really going to tell us. Maybe we'll be surprised, but I also don't expect the turnout, you know, of 75 percent of the 65 plus crowd. Matt, what, what do you think? Like, should we be skeptical? I think that it's important to always be skeptical of, you know, certain narratives that are put out there. But I think it should also just be noted that most of Gen Z is is not even of voting age yet. So so when we talk about the political power of this generation, it, it by definition just hasn't been realized when you have a lot of young activists who are, you know, 15, 13 years old, who are the ones who are, you know, causing large protests in Atlanta, um, Virginia, um, in New York to, to protest for a lot of the things that they care about and are interested in. Even though Gen Z is not necessarily showing up at the ballot box at the rates of, of higher generations. It took those generations also a long time to become the political forces that we now think of as the baby boomers or even as the millennials. So it's going to be interesting to see um, in this election whether or not Gen Z is going to turn out. I also don't think that they're going to turn out at rates that are going to compete with um, people who are 50, 65 plus. But I do think that a small margin of Gen Z being able to turn out and being more politically activated than, say, Gen X or the millennials had been at the same age would actually have a very um, significant impact, especially in states where Gen Z is um, more populated, like Georgia, like places like Florida, where Maxwell Frost is running, and, and other um, states that are on average a bit younger than the national average. And also to Matt's point, too, about Gen Z not being fully realized and like fully of voting age, I think social media is a really valuable tool that Gen Z has in their toolbox. But again, some of the people who are making these political videos aren't necessarily, like Matt said, even of age to vote yet. So I think it'll be a time thing. 
Yeah, that makes me think a lot, too, about what we've seen uh, down in Florida with the Don't Say Gay Bill. And just to be clear, the, the Don't Say Gay Bill, that's a term that people are using to describe the parents' rights on education bill and this question of whether or not teachers and students are allowed to talk about issues around LGBTQ people yes. in classrooms. Yes. And, um, you know, that's another moment where we saw this mobilization of young voters and young Americans just kind of becoming more civically aware and knowing that their local government has a big impact on their life. And so I was, you know, talking to a few activists um, who participated in that and they led walkouts in their schools and they were saying, you know, we're not going to stand up to Ron DeSantis. Maybe a year ago, they didn't even really know what power Ron DeSantis had. And so one of the activists I was talking to in that in that case specifically, he was saying, you know, I can't vote. I'm 17, but I got 200 people in my school to register to vote. So I think it's the little booms like that that could also make a difference because we're talking not just, you know, the federal level, the state. Uh, we're talking about like their local councils. They're talking about their like state legislature. I think they're realizing that they can make little differences there. After the break, we talk about some of Gen Z's priorities when they do vote. We'll be right back. In-laws, love them or hate them, you're pretty much stuck with them. And when you're a ruler in the Middle Ages, that can be a serious problem. It might even land you dead. I'm Dan Jones, and on season four of This Is History, I'm telling the story of England's weirdest king, Henry III. He's in way over his head, and he's surrounded by bloodthirsty relatives with their eyes on his throne. To listen, search This Is History and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Going into this election, a lot of voters say that the most important issue for them is the economy. But Matt Brown says that the issues Gen Z cares about are a little different. When I'm going out on the, on the trail and interviewing young voters, when I'm going to college campuses, when I'm going to events all around Georgia to, to talk to young people, I'm hearing a lot from folks where they're saying that their top issues are things that are directly impacting their lives. And I think that when it comes to Gen Z, I don't think people appreciate how much issues like climate change, how much issues like guns, how much issues like education and this loan forgiveness that President Biden has charted a path on are things that really resonate with young voters because that's what's impacting their reality. Like older voters, are, when I talk to them, they are vaguely aware of what's going on on Facebook, for instance. Whereas like Gen Zers live in this entirely different universe um, on TikTok and other social networking platforms where issues like uh, climate change, where issues like, um, you know, healthcare and, and um, LGBTQ issues are real to them because they are much more likely to know an LGBTQ person. They're much more likely to be worried about their long-term future on this planet when it comes to climate issues because they think those things materially affect them. So even when I go and talk to conservatives, of Gen Zers. I, I, I hear a lot more of concern around these issues, or at least just a much more deep appreciation that these are real things that people are grappling with. So how are older generations um, viewing or even receiving these Gen Z politicians or thinking about Gen Z voters? I mean, are they taking them seriously? I'll jump in and say that I was surprised, maybe not surprised, but impressed by the way the GOP has um, taken in its Gen Z candidates. I think if we see Carolyn Levitt, who's running for the House in New Hampshire, you know, she is an alum of the Trump administration. She got, you know, the backing uh, from the GOP establishment to run this race. And she, you know, we'll see how it goes against Chris Pappas. But it, it, I think that the GOP is realizing that they don't have 
that many, you know, they have to keep their flow going. They have to move on to the next generation because, again, it's a very, uh, but very liberal generation. So they have to grab onto whoever is willing to continue carrying the mantle. And so I think we'll continue seeing that. A lot of these um, Gen Z politicians who are conservative really espouse the idea of the MAGA agenda. Um, and so that's that's on that side. On the Democratic side, I think there's still a little bit of a push and shove. I you know we see all these candidates saying. You know, I'm a young Democrat. Um, I think it's time for a change in leadership. I think it's a time for a change in generational uh, power here in the Democratic Party. And then there's still that uh, control in the party elders that they're not ready to give up. So I think it's going to be an easier fight. And that means this is just like thinking about it out loud. But I think it's going to be more of an easy, an easy passing on the mantle on the GOP side than on the Democratic side. I think that's interesting because that's one of the questions I was really interested in, too. Maxwell Frost said that um, an older woman told him that, well, what's the lowest age to run for his position? He said 25. And she said, well, you're right on time. Mm-hmm. So I think that depending on what kind of older generation you're talking, definitely who you're talking to, um, there's definitely a lot of support from older generations. So for me, hearing this, it feels like there's a theme here that sometimes older people, but especially younger people, are worried about the future, are worried about the things that are coming down the road. But I'm not hearing people talk about inflation, right? Like, I'm not hearing people talk about some of the more acute issues of this moment, that a lot of Americans wake up every morning and think, like, this is making my life hard right now. What do you make of that difference, the fact that that some of those more immediate motivators don't seem to be the thing that is driving interest among young people? Um, I mean, definitely polling shows that um, they are still concerned about the economy. It's just, again, as you mentioned, it's not abortion. It's not climate change that are usually the top two leading. And then, you know, uh, gun violence. But I do think if there's a split between talking to more liberal Gen Zers and more conservative Gen Zers, you know, if you see this group called Gen Z GOP, which is, you know, a collective of uh, 17 to 23, you know, college age Gen Zers who um, are also conservative and they decided to form their own group just because I think they weren't like feeling identified with more of the national Republican platform, but also most of their peers in age. So they came together and did their own thing. Their um, agenda, it's called the four E's and one of them is uh, entrepreneurship. And so, you know, environment is there, equality is there, but then there's entrepreneurship. And so that is something that I haven't really you know, discuss that much with um, liberal Gen Zers because I think their focuses are more social issues. And while Gen Z GOP is still, um, you know, talking about the environment a little bit more than their elders, um, they still have this idea that they have to have an economy to run on and to be living off on uh, when they're older. And that is an aspect that I didn't see talked about that much um, with the other Gen Z groups that I talked to. So I find it really interesting to think about what a Gen Z conservative looks like. Matt, I'm curious your take on that, what you're seeing in terms of Republicans who are in this youngest generation. The conversations that I'm having with Gen Z voters is that they're generally frustrated broadly across the political spectrum with their options. And I definitely think that's the case, especially for conservative Gen Z voters, where they feel like I'm not necessarily seeing in the Republican Party the people who I think I would like to cast my ballot for or who I would mm-hmm. like to advocate for. They're, they're not seeing people who are talking about the issues that are on mind for them or just not talking about them in a way that connects with Gen Z voters. Like the, when, when you are waxing poetic and saying all this nostalgia about the Reagan years and the people who you're trying to connect with actually didn't live through that. That, that, That's just not going to have the same effect as even though you have people who would maybe emotionally or politically be wanting to be invested in that political project. And I, and I think it's also important to note that oftentimes you, you will find a lot of Gen Zers who are on average much more moderate when it comes to um, their, their policy views if they lean conservative. But you will also find a lot more uh, of Gen Zers, especially the ones who are, are, are running for office, who because they see the perceived social liberalism 
broadly of of their generation, there there's almost a rejection of it, which is where I think you get some of the the more extreme right wing memes and everything that you can very much find online and on Instagram and TikTok and stuff that that comes out of a lot of these more um, conservative political groups um, among Gen Zers. And what about like election denialism? among Gen Z Republicans. I mean, are you seeing them taking on the mantle of elections are stolen, that you can't trust our, our democratic processes? Yeah, and they and they make and they make great memes about election denialism too and everything. And this is a, a broad take regardless of generation, but it's and not being slowed down at all amongst the Gen Zers who I talk to when I go to um, Republican rallies or, or Trump rallies. Um, some older voters might watch television that um they will cite when they say these some of these um, conspiracy theories. You have a lot more Gen Zers who will like point me to a YouTube video or something, or they'll say, "This is this is where I got this information," or "You've got to follow this Twitter account because they know what's really up and everything." So, so it's sometimes I think we can overstate sometimes the difference between generations and what's driving those differences because sometimes you can have age old claims, beliefs, and tales and everything that can just get really repackaged into a sleek TikTok video that that's been around here since you know hundreds of years. But I I also think that there is a common theme in what I'm hearing from both liberal Gen Zers and more conservative Gen Zers is a frustration with the system, a sense of skepticism that the political process actually works. I mean, I think that you even see that in, you know, climate activism, right, where there's more excitement around like throwing food onto a painting at a at a museum as a way to create some kind of change around climate action versus voting. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit more of that, if if Gen Zers are fundamentally, like, if they, if they fundamentally don't believe that politics is actually what creates the change that they want to see. Yeah. Um, actually, that reminds me of, um, I was talking to T. Oze, who is one of the youngest uh, lawmakers in, this, in the country. He is a city council member in New York, and he is 24, 25. He's very young. And we were talking about just this specific thing. I was like, isn't it more about the grand gestures? You know, you ran for office at such a young age. And he said, well, yeah. And I got there and I realized how much bureaucracy um, gets in the way of doing things. Like I can just, you know, pass a law and get this done. Like there has to be so many layers and I have to convince people and I have to like make um, deals and I have to negotiate. And I think that that's, 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 that's how politics, politics works. You know, that's how it's worked yes. since the beginning of this country. Liz, like for forever. And I think he was like, that's the aspect that I think that goes missing a lot when we have these grand gestures and we talk about it in social media and only 180 characters. Like we, there's so much process that goes into this and that's something that he wishes um, his generation understood. But at the same time, he said, we are so tired of incremental change. We don't want to keep moving, you know, at a little turtle's pace. No, yeah, I, th- I think that it's just important to to remember that this is a, a digitally native generation, and you could argue really the first digitally native generation. And and as a result, a lot of the ways that social media took the older political class by surprise, where they they didn't see what social media's potential was, like D- Gen Z is just not going to be surprised or, or caught off guard by any of that, and they're going to intuitively understand what it means to provide some of the transparency that this upcoming generation just expects from people. And I think that that Gen Z politicians. Um, as they rise through the ranks of, you know, civic activism, civic engagement, um, rising all the way up through, you know, local, all the way up to the federal offices, this is going to be something that you're going to see more and more often from people just because not only is this something that the population is just going to more expect from their leaders, but it's going to be something that the Gen Z in office themselves are going to know that they are going to have to do and be able to do. And I think it's something that politicians will have to kind of think about going forward, too, is building authenticity into their campaign more than ever before, because 
less and less is there able to be just kind of a crafted image of someone who's kind of vague and like works in Washington. But now audiences have access to politicians, like what they do in their day to day. What do they eat for breakfast? Are they being authentic when they're talking to me? Because now I can go as they're talking, look up, tell if it's legitimate and come right back to that live stream or whatever and say, this is nonsense. And and so what does that all mean? I will wait and see. And, uh, you know, when we see the polls at the end of the election and see how much that little percentage grew of um, them showing up. And again, a lot of them can't even vote yet. But I do think that we can expect a generation that's just going to be more civically engaged than the ones before because they're tired, because they don't want to do incrementalism anymore, because they have so much access to the Internet. Um, but also because the attack on their rights going on right now is intense, you know, like, it's not just, oh, abortion. It's also um, LGBTQ rights, the, the right to vote, um, all of these things that I think that we maybe didn't feel as intensely before 2016. Um, this is a generation that grew up on that. And so I think now that they are getting to the point where they can actually have a say, they've been having all of this energy pent up that I, I think it's you know a matter of time before they actually show up and say, it's, it's enough. It's time for us to take over. I would just say, lastly, I think the value of all of this happening now and the challenges happening now is even though they can be really intense, we also have a lot of tools to look at what's going on and directly what kind of changes and what kind of legislation impacts what. And so we can have a very clear map of how to fix it if in whatever direction. I I also think that, that this is a generation that has not known some of the stabilities or realities that older generations had, had come up through. This is a generation that that they were kids during the 2008 financial crisis. They a lot of them came of political age in the era of Donald Trump. And whether they're 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 pessimistic, whether they're optimistic, whether they're engaged, whether they're not, the the reasons for that are going to be so different from what past generations would say in those situations. That I think that based off of just the identity and the experiences of this generation alone, it's going to be unavoidable that politics is just going to be completely transformed in this country. Matt, Carmela, Mariana, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mariana Alfaro is a zillennial reporter for Post Politics Now. Matt Brown is our geriatric Gen Z democracy reporter in Georgia. And Carmela Boykin is a Gen Z TikTok producer at The Post. This story was produced by Charlotte Freeland and Jordan Murray Smith. It was mixed by Sean Carter and Renny Spronovsky. It was edited by Rena Flores and Maggie Penman. Our Elise Hernandez, Patrick Marley, Lori Rosa, and Reese Tebow contributed reporting. As you're waiting for results to come in from Election Day, you are going to want to be on WashingtonPost.com. We will have live coverage and analysis of key races across the country. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back in your feeds tomorrow with everything we know about the results so far and with more stories from The Washington Post.